Hello, this is Rob Massey, and welcome to the Planet Jesus podcast. This is the show for skeptics and Christians who want to learn more about the Bible and understand better how to interpret and apply it. I hope you enjoy this program. Welcome back to Planet Jesus. This is episode one, Enemy Mine. If you remember, that, uh, that's a movie that came out in mid-80s. Uh, with uh, Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. And it's a story about uh, humans and aliens that are in a battle fighting over the universe as if there's not enough space. And um, they finally, uh, they crash, they, f- they get together, they fight, they, you know, they're, but then the forces, the challenges of their environment force them together and they begin to, Uh, find that although they were enemies, they could only survive if they worked together. And then not just working together for mutual survival, but they recognize the deeper needs of friendship that are required for humans to be truly human and for, I guess, aliens to be truly alien. A couple weeks ago in my home church, I spoke on generosity. It was based on a Baylor Press uh, book with several articles from different theologians and scholars around the country, and they were reflecting on the biblical concept of generosity and how important it was, and, and I couldn't get it off my mind for several days, and then I began to reflect on on this caravan of Guatemalans and Hondurans that are working their way up through Mexico. I began to think, well, what should our response be to that? Because I had heard that President Trump had mobilized troops to go there to the border. Um, He had identified most of them as villains and criminals And it troubled me that the pictures that I was seeing showed a pretty significant number of women and children. Um, Yes, there were men, and there are pictures of men doing bad things, throwing bottles and rocks against uh, at the Mexican border. And so I was a little, you know, I was like, well, what do we, what do we take in all of that? What do we, how do we think about all of this stuff? And it began to merge back with the thoughts that I had on generosity. And so I'd like to present those here um, in this podcast. Uh, The verse that I'd like to start off with is this principle that comes from Deuteronomy. Moses says, at that time, this is Deuteronomy 10 verse 1, at that time the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tables of stone like the first and come to me into the mountain and make an ark of wood and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. This is Moses getting a second set of tablets because the first ones he got so ticked that he busted them. And so God creates these new tablets for him, and they've got the Ten Commandments on them, these Ten Commandments that were are so famous in our legal system, and so many governments and uh, societies have organized around these or some variant of these Ten Commandments. Uh, but these are the, those tablets that he says he takes them and he puts them in the ark. 
I don't know if many of you watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you know that scene there at the end when they pull the Germans, pull the top off the Ark, and all of a sudden this light, piercing light comes flying out and their faces melt and, you know, they, well, so what was supposed to be in there are these tablets of stone. Of course, we know that's, you know, a fable, but... uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was an entertaining show anyway. But just getting this idea that what was in there, what was so holy were these words, these 10 words, and that the presence of God was, um, was found within the words. What's interesting here, though, in Deuteronomy 10 is what Moses goes on to say in the 12th verse. He says, and now, you've got these 10 commandments, now Israel What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear or reverence the Lord uh, your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. The commands, they've been already given, uh, but Moses is going to say, there's something here more. Israel, you're going to have to put these things into practice. The verbs that he uses to describe their response uh, to the word of God is reverence, to walk, which is a euphemism for how we live our lives, love and service. These verbs have as their object God himself. But in a few minutes, I hope to show that that true love, reverence, and service of God is demonstrated in the actions that we show towards others, that Israel was supposed to show towards others. In the 14th verse of that 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, it says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day. So I think verse 14, everything belonging to God, seems out of place. But I think it will become clear when we continue to read that the point is, is that everything in heaven and earth is God's and that it's his desire to share that with others. The point of verse 15 is that God, in an act of grace, chose the ancestors of this band of emancipated slaves. He chose those people to love them. A love that was to be mediated to the rest of the world. Keep that in mind. So it says in the 17th verse, at the end of it, it says, God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. I like this. He loves the sojourner. That word in the the old King James Version, the one I grew up reading, it's translated uh, sojourner, alien, stranger. I remember reading the Bernstein Bears to my kids when they were younger and there was this whole thing about, this whole book about strangers and stranger danger. I'd make voices when the creepy guys were talking in the thing. I'd always make the creepy voices so that they would like, oh, strangers, stay away, you know. I wanted my girls and my boys to be protected. 
that's the feeling we have as human beings to people that are not like us or that we don't know. We're guarded. We'll put up walls. But God is saying that he's not partial. He's going to execute justice for all these marginalized people, the fatherless, that's the orphaned, the widow, and those that are vagabonds, those that are traveling, those that have uh, that are sojourning, those aliens. And we, we call people who come into this nation uh, legally, they're aliens, they're, they're foreigners. We, we have illegal aliens, we call. Somebody who comes across a border uh, into a country that is not their own, we call them illegal aliens. So that word sojourner, think alien, think stranger. At the end of verse 17, Moses says that he's not partial. Yet we just read that he favored Israel's forefathers. Spoiler alert. He chose Israel to mediate his love and grace. Anyone enlightened by God to do his will will have a concomitant responsibility to act on his behalf. Now, if Israel's view of others was not one of love, or they were to become convinced that God does not love a person or a group, then they would have behaved towards them in a way that they believed God would, right? It's like, if God hates that group of people, then I'm going to hate that group of people. And there are plenty of scriptures, plenty of scriptures that you could call out and say, oh, God hates them, and God says, kill, kill them and kill them and do this and do this damage here and, and destroy them and take their herds and blah, blah, blah. The point is, I want you to recognize what the Christian scriptures, with Jesus's words, they're constantly coming back to these gracious passages He doesn't go back to these ugly passages. He goes to these gracious passages. He pulls them out and he says, this is what God is like. This is what your father is like. He's a gracious God and he's not partial. And he considers the marginalized and the weak. And isn't that the case? The way that we believe or see God, the character that we think our God has, we will quickly adapt those characters. So we need to be careful that we're getting a proper representation. I I think that's the challenge. The challenge, most people have rejected uh, the Christian God or the Jewish God because he seems to hate so many people. He seems to be so sectarian. But here, we're going to see that that is not the God that Jesus wanted to relay. In this case, Israel's God is not partial. He executes justice for the marginalized in society. His justice would be demonstrated by his provision of food and clothing. Now, according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we need things like food and clothing. That's the base of the triangle. We need security, health. We need somebody to service us in our need. We need love and belonging. We need esteem. We need self-actualization. Now, that last one is probably, you know, the responsibility of ours to kind of take it to the next level. But the rest of those areas there are something that somebody else can help us in. We can find community to give us esteem and love and belonging. We can 
find people who can help give us health and strength and service our emotional needs. And then hopefully, if we're in need, we have people out there that will provide food and clothing and shelter and the things that are necessary for life. If you look back at these passages we just quoted, at those verbs that were applied to God with God as their object, if we will take this principle that I believe is true, and I'm going to hope to bear it out here in a minute, that the blessings of God towards us and our responsibility back to God, those verbs that are used, reverencing God, walking in His ways, loving God, serving God, that those same action words turn towards the other, that we turn towards the sojourner and the marginalized in this world, and we serve them, and we love them, and we reverence them, that, that esteem. See, those are all the needs of, that Maslow talked about. So verse 19 of Deuteronomy 10 says, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You see, as soon as God says, I'm not partial, I don't take bribes, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and the loves of the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Now, how does God give food and clothing? At the end of the 18th verse, how does God give food and clothing? He turns around and he tells Israel, you love the sojourner. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. That's how God shows justice. He does provide food and clothing and love and esteem. And he does this by commanding Israel. He commands people, humans, people who have come into a, a communion with God and understand his character and his will. He asks them to be his hands and feet, to connect, to touch, to get into the messy lives of other human beings. If you have time to look at the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5, and remember, Paul is this unlikely disciple of Jesus. He was an enemy of those that followed him. But when he converted, he wrote this, While we were enemies, Christ died for us. This is an example to all Jesus followers today. Sacrifice for your enemies. Give. Show esteem. Show love. Look at Moses' rationale for why they were to love the sojourners. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. That statement, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. This is the kind of existence that you had. You were once vulnerable. Now, how did they do that? I'd like to spend a few minutes providing a background to how Israel's forefathers came to sojourn in Egypt. And by the way, what started as a symbiotic sojourning of Israel in Egypt uh, became deprivation and slavery. And if we're not careful, we can create a society that is so turned towards those who already have that those who do not find themselves more and more marginalized, not raised up in society. So just keep that in mind. That's my only political statement of the day. Chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, that's Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he's supposed to be sojourning. He's going on a trip. And I will make you a great nation. 
and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So wandering from his own country, Abraham begins his journey. The the writer of Hebrews, which is a, a book in the Christian scriptures, They write that Abraham was looking for a city that had uh, foundations whose builder and maker was God. He wanted something solid that he could build his life on. The civilizations of men are built in a way to secure the position and the power of those who have position and power. So he makes himself vulnerable. He goes out, he begins to travel west out of Ur and begins to journey around and finds his way uh, in Canaan. Abraham was the first father of the faithful. God was going to bless him and he was going to bless all the families of the earth. Do you see how that works? That those who are in relationship with God, those who have been called by God, yes, it's a blessing. Yes, it's an honor. Yes, it's a privilege. But it's meant for something. It has a purpose so that we can turn that blessing towards others. Abraham and his seed was to turn that blessing outward so that all the nations of the world would be blessed. But look at all the headwinds. If you don't know the story, just read Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 50. For me, it's one of the most profound areas of the Bible. It shows the barrenness of Abraham and Sarah. And when they did conceive, there was internal family strife and, and challenges. You begin to see as you look at these families, Abraham and Sarah, they, be, they had Isaac. Isaac finally got married and married Rebekah. They had twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, because of the f- internal family strife, he actually has to leave his home. He has to leave his home and journey into a land that, you know, he doesn't know anybody there. He's now, he continues this sojourning that his fathers had exhibited. This wandering, this propensity to wander, looking for something, looking for security and safety, looking for a, time, a place of peace where brothers aren't wanting to kill you. What I think is interesting here is that the people who are called to be a blessing to the world are infected by the same dis-ease that the world is. By the way, I, I want to just insert here that I highly recommend Russell Brand's podcast, Under the Skin, specifically episode 53 with Gabor Mate. It's, it's about damaged leaders ruling an addicted world. And I got a lot of parallels in there. The, the addiction and the damage and that we all are, even as people who feel like we've been called by God to exhibit, a, be a blessing to the world and to meet the needs of the marginalized and the underprivileged. Despite that, we're infected. We're damaged. So unfortunately we often fail in blessing others. That's, this is just a reminder, but a go, go listen to Russell Brand's podcast, Under the Skin, episode 53. I think it's very, very profound. Anyway, the forefathers of Israel were struggling with each other. Jacob, he ended up finding a wife out there in, in his wandering, and he had 12 sons. 
Uh, he actually found four wives. Uh, so each of these 12 sons came from different mothers. And it created some additional tension within the household. As you can imagine, all four mothers were still living there and all four, all 12 sons were still living there. But the, look at what Isaac tells Jacob as he's getting ready to leave. So let's just step back for a second. I want to show that the blessing that God gave to Abraham and asked Abraham to uh, share with the world was being passed down from generation to generation. Now Isaac is passing this down to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Genesis 28 verse 1 says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and he gave him this direction. Verse 3 says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you might become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Up to this point, none of the forefathers, none of Jacob's forefathers had received that blessing. They, they didn't have the land. The only land that Abraham owned was the land that he was buried in. No promises. These are sojourners. These are wanderers. These are people without possessions in the sense that they have a permanent and abiding place to call home. You know, it's good to be blessed by your dad, to get words of affirmation, to be encouraged by him. There's nothing like that. When my, my dad would say, my boys, and he grabbed me and my brother by the necks and he just pull us in close. There was nothing like that to know that you were approved by your father. And so I'm sure Jacob felt the approval of Isaac. But as Jacob journeys, he got something more. We all need an encounter with God. Look at what it says there in the 10th verse of the 28th chapter. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he laid it down as a place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up to, uh, on the earth to the top reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and says, I am the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land which you lie on, I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Look at that. God is gifting them this land that wasn't theirs. It was somebody else's land, and he's gifting it to them. And because he's gifting it to them, they are to turn around and gift and bless all the families of the earth. The bottom line is this, of all of this background, is that the character of God is to bless all the families of the earth. And anyone who has joined God in this endeavor will act the same. This then precludes killing people. <laughs> we got to stop killing people and endorsing people who do. The story of the forefathers of Israel continues on. They grow and they have a herd and they're moving them around. And these 12 sons of Jacob, active herdsmen, they're moving around that land that they hope to eventually own. But one of those boys has a dream. These must be a family of dreamers. 
One of these boys has a dream, and in this dream, all of his brothers are bowing down to him. So he tells the dream, and the brothers are like, yeah, you, you think? Here, he's the 11th born. I don't know about how many of you have a big families, but I raised six kids, and I will tell you that when Kate, my youngest, began to speak out, the rest of them were like, yeah, 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 get out of here, kid, you bother me. This guy had no respect within, you know, Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and all of his older brothers. He didn't have respect by them. And all of a sudden, he's the guy that they're all going to be bowing down to? He has this dream? They think, who does he think he is? To make matters worse, he has another dream. And in this dream, his father and mother and his 12 brothers bow down to him. His dad says, really? Now you've gone too far. But the point is, there was this animosity growing. God is giving him an indication of who he's going to be. He's speaking into his life. Hey, you're going to have a great responsibility in this, in this family. You're going to get honor and respect. Little does he know how that's going to come. The suffering that he's going to have to go through in order to provide leadership and guidance. His brothers, so jealous of him, sell him into slavery. His brother Judah, by the way. They sell him into slavery, into Potiphar's house. He rises up into the ranks of Potiphar's servants. And because he is accused of inappropriate behavior with Potiphar's wife, he's thrown in prison. And this is a death sentence. How how many of you today would want to be in an Egyptian prison? Well, any prison for that matter. But I can't imagine this is like club fed. This isn't a U.S. prison for white-collar crimes. This is an Egyptian prison 1,500, 2,000 years prior to Christ, 4,000 years ago. I don't know what kind of conditions are there, but I'm not thinking they're favorable. But you know what he does? He gets in there. He's respectful. He honors the other inmates. He honors the guy that's over the prison. And he rises up in the ranks. He's not just a dreamer, but he's an interpreter of dreams. And he interprets a dream That eventually comes true, but he remains in prison. Years later, the Pharaoh has a dream. And the guy that's close to Pharaoh says, Hey, you know what? I remember a guy. When I was in prison, remember when you ticked at me and you threw me into prison? Yeah, Pharaoh says. He says, I met a guy in there and he told me a dream and it came true. And he says, Okay, well, call him up. Let me tell tell him the dream. So he tells him this dream. And in this dream, there's going to be seven years of plenty. And seven years of famine, and all of the years of plenty are going to be eaten up by the years of famine. So then Joseph concludes, Pharaoh, do the right thing. Set somebody up over that, gather the stuff into the barns, keep it in store so that when the seven years of famine hit, we're good as a nation. We're going to hold together. So Pharaoh says, I can't think of anybody better than the guy who interpreted it. So Joseph, again, out of prison, rolls up the ranks. He's in second in command. He's managing all of these affairs, and seven years of plenty roll in. But then shortly after that, seven years of famine begin to come in, and it begins to erode, erode the stores of Egypt. And like in all things, economic downturn, it impacts those on the margins well before it impacts those who already have. And so those that were up in Canaan, the brothers of Joseph, 
they begin to suffer under the famine and Jacob sends them. He says, hey, go in there. And they sent 10 of his older brothers, all 10 of his older brothers, come into the land to get grain and take it back. Here's some money. Take it to Pharaoh. What they don't realize is that they're interacting with their brother. You know, he's no longer the swarthy Hebrew from Canaan. He's had his eyebrows plucked and he looks like, uh, you know, the prince of Egypt. And so he's over there doling out food and Joseph knows who they are. And he says, hey, uh, you know, who are you guys? Are you not coming in here to spy out the land to attack us in our time of vulnerability? Is this band of people that are heading up from Guatemala, I mean, uh, Canaan? Are you guys coming up here to spy out our land and do damage to us? But Joseph knows. Joseph is looking down and, and they said, oh no, we're the, we're the 12 sons of our one father and we just need food. And he says, hey, there's, you say 12, I only see 10 of you. Well, one is no longer and one is so young that if anything were to happen to him, our father would just die. He says, I don't believe you. You take this grain, and the next time you come, I want to see that son or no more grain for you. So what does he do? They come back. They, they run out of grain. They come back. This time they prevail on their dad to bring their younger brother, Benjamin. Now, Benjamin is the full brother of Joseph. They were both sons of the wife, Rachel. So man, Joseph sees him, and he's like, mate, uh, what do I, what I got to do? I love these guys. And as he's interacting with him, you can tell in the story, he leaves the room and he begins to weep and his, and his guts are just wrenching out of him as he's trying to ascertain if their heart towards him has changed at all. And finally, through some act of intrigue by Joseph, he's going to arrest one of them. He, he feigns a problem. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this younger one here with me. You guys take the grain back, and then I want to see your father, because I, I think you guys have been uh, dishonest. This, this youngest one here has stolen from me. You guys, when you bring your father back, then we'll, I'm going to keep him in prison until then. And Judah, the one who sold Joseph into slavery, says, take me. I will be the surety for the lad. He tells his father, Jacob, I will be the surety for the lad. You send him with me. Nothing will happen. When, Ju when Judah is now pressed, he has made all of these promises to his father, Jacob. And now he's pressed by Joseph. He doesn't know it's Joseph. He's like, no, please let, the, let that boy go back. Keep me. Oh, God, help us to get a heart towards others, even when there are brothers that would be sacrificial, that we would put ourselves in between them. He loved his father and he loved his brother and he was putting himself in that mix. Joseph recognizing the change of heart in Judah caused him to just say, hey man, it's me, Joseph. And they were like, oh my God, we are in trouble. This thing's going to hell in a handbasket. He's going to kick our butts now. But he says, no, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. You see the spirit that we should have towards others? People are going to do us wrong. People are going to do evil. We are going to have enemies. But we need to recognize that if we will sacrifice for our enemies, if we will give up our rights for others, we will not be, in the long run, the worse for it. So when we start to look at sojourners coming up from Guatemala and Honduras, should we send troops with guns? You know, certainly. If these guys come and bull rush the, the border, 
then, of course, the, the government has to do what a government will do. But why not think creatively? Why not think like Jesus did? See, Jesus, he presented himself to a world that was his enemies. And while we were enemies, he died. Was there any hope? I, I sometimes wonder, how did Jesus gain a hope that there would be people that would respond to his sacrificial act? But they did. And they have. And they continue to. Now, what would happen if we, right now, Christian churches, Jewish synagogues, would place ourselves down there and our resources down at the border, build cities, work with the government of Mexico to build tent cities that have clean water and health care and education systems in, so that in, we can start to help the people that are making their journey up this direction. When you look at the journey that from Canaan, those brothers, when they went into Egypt and sojourned in Egypt, after Joseph revealed himself and provided them land and property to settle in, after they made that journey, I, I got to calculate, well, what's the distance there? Oh, it's about 500 miles. And then I was thinking, when I was watching the news and I saw that the people had, the, the caravan had gotten to uh, Mexico City, I said, hey, Siri, what's the distance from Mexico City to Brownsville, Texas? And it was like 457 miles as the crow flies or 600 miles by car. I thought, well, you know, the, the, the close connection in the journey was too much to pass up. Here we've got this group of people on the journey. They're traveling the same distance to, to a modern-day Egypt who has been able to survive the, the economic uh, deprivation and the famine, so to speak, that has gripped this globe for a number of decades. And now we see these people coming to a place so that they can just make $8 an hour. So that they can get jobs. So that they can find some way to keep their families alive. And it moves me. It makes me feel like doing something that is Jesus-like. I was remembering Thomas Friedman's book, Thank You for Being Late. And I was particularly seized by the impact that temperature change in North Africa, uh, how it caused the farmers to have to leave their farms, leave their wife and their children's and their ancient men there to tend these pitiful farms that were no longer producing the crop because the weather change and the changes in rain patterns. And they left there and on their journey to find jobs in Europe, they were radicalized. Or they do finally make it to Europe and they send back whatever they can make back to their homes just to keep those wives and children alive. I thought about the fear and the concern and how I would feel as a father wanting to feed my children. I, you know, I might turn to violence. I might have a violent response when all I see is a world that is so full, so full of bounty, so full of plenty. And here we're in deprivation and starvation and our children are on the margins, many of them dying, the birth rates out of the astronomical just to keep enough to keep the population alive. He put this comment in here. This is a quote from Thomas Friedman's book. Thank you for being late. Looking back on all my interviews for this book, how many times in how many different contexts 
Did I hear about the vital importance of having a caring adult or mentor in every young person's life? How many times did I hear about the value of having a coach? Whether you are applying for a job for the first time at Walmart or running Walmart. How many times did I hear people stressing the importance of self-motivation and practice and taking ownership of your own career and education as the real differentiators for success? How interesting it was to learn that the highest paying jobs in the future will be stempathy jobs. Jobs that combine strong science and technology skills with the ability to empathize with another human being. How ironic was it to learn that something as simple as a chicken coop or the basic planting of trees and gardens could be the most important thing we do to stabilize parts of the world of disorder. Whoever would have thought it would become a national security and personal security imperative for all of us to scale the golden rule further and wider than ever. And who can deny that when individuals get so super empowered and interdependent at the same time, it becomes more vital than ever to be able to look into the face of your neighbor or the stranger or the refugee or the migrant and see in that person a brother or sister. Who can ignore the fact that the key to Tanzania's success in the Arab Spring was that it had a little bit more, quote, civil society, end quote, than all other Arab countries. Not cell phones or Facebook friends. How many times and in how many different contexts did people mention to me the word trust? between two human beings as the true enabler of all good things. And whoever thought that the key to building a healthy community would be a dining room table? That's why I wasn't surprised when I asked the Surgeon General, Murthy, what was the biggest disease in America today? Without hesitation, he answered, It's not cancer. It's not heart disease. It's isolation. It is the pronounced isolation that so many people are experiencing that is the great pathology of our lives today. How ironic. We are the most technologically connected generation in human history, and yet more people feel more isolated than ever. This only reinforces Murthy's earlier point, that the connections that matter most and are in most short supply today are the human-to-human ones. Enemy mine, we're on this planet together. Let's figure out how to work against adversity, bigotry, political, economic, geographic problems. Let's work together to solve them and love one another. When the people at the margins are suffering, the people who have been enlightened by God need to be the first responders to connect with them. It starts with food, shelter, and clothing, but it moves up through acts of service, love, belonging, and esteem. When we begin to esteem others as ourselves, God knows that this will change the world. Thank you for listening. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and you could have chosen any but I sincerely appreciate your investment in time into mine. 
The show notes for this and all episodes, and other links to source material, can be found at my website at rob-massey.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to it, rate it, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to help me defer some of the costs, please visit my Patreon account at www.patreon.com slash planetjesus. Thanks again for listening.